Welcome to the Arcada Presbyterian Church. And thank you all for coming out this morning. The title of today's message is Unity. And it's based on Ephesians 2, verses 11 uh, through 22. China has been in the news a lot recently. Secretary Yellen traveled to China just a few weeks ago in hopes of diffusing escalating tensions on the world scene. This brought back some memories of my trip to China several years ago with a group of flower farmers to explore the Chinese flower industry. It was a fascinating experience. I have never seen so many building cranes in my life. Everywhere we looked, they were building skyscrapers, roads, bridges, you name it. We visited the wholesale market in Beijing. We also went to the growing region around Kunming in the southwest part of China. And as the plane descended, we flew over this vast acreage of greenhouses, plastic greenhouses, as far as the eye could see. The magnitude of the flower industry in China is truly remarkable. Then in the middle of the night, we visited we visited the flower market where thousands of small Chinese flower farmers and buyers are trading their flowers. The next day, we went to see some of these flower farms, hours away from the city, in the back country of China, in the rural agrarian portion of the country. Another memorable part of the trip was the visit to Shanghai which started out as a fishing village thousands of years ago, has developed into this huge metropolis, the trading center of China, possibly all of Asia. And the website citymayors.com ranks Shanghai as the largest city in the world, with a population over 24 million people. We had dinner in an area called the Bund, a notable spot overlooking a bend in the Hongpa River with a spectacular view of the city. Well, the change in the city from 1990 with no skyscrapers to today epitomizes the incredible growth in the last three decades. The extreme wealth in Shanghai is very evident. We walked through downtown and saw a West Case Mall with identical upscale retailers as one would find in Manhattan, or Chicago, or Los Angeles. Driving into Shanghai, we saw countless BMWs, Mercedes, and Lamborghinis. And we even spotted a, a, a Bentley dealership. In other words, Shanghai is an amazingly wealthy city in a country that has a very low living standard. So you may wonder, what does the wealth inequality in China have to do, have to do with the message today? Or well, in the days of Paul, in 52 AD, there was a very similar setting. The country of Asia Minor present-day Turkey, was largely rural and agrarian at the time, with a very low living standard. And then there was a city called Ephesus, a prominent capital of the Roman Empire in Asia. 
Just like Shanghai, Ephesus was very prosperous because it was a seaport city with its river leading inland, facilitating trade routes and commerce. And similar to Shanghai, the city of Ephesus was built along a bend in the river, the Keister River. Historians describe this ancient city as this bustling supreme metropolis of Asia, just like Shanghai today. Paul visited Ephesus two times. First, a short visit at the end of the second missionary journey, but then during Paul's third journey, he stayed and evangelized in Ephesus for three years with great success. The leaders of the church at the time were Aquila and Priscilla, along with Apollos. Ephesus was an important city for Paul because it was strategically located. The gospel spread via its many trade routes of commerce that passed through and beyond Ephesus. Here, a great door was opened for Paul, and the church was established and strengthened. But eventually, Paul moved on to, to Macedonia and later to Greece. And in 62 AD, Paul now finds himself in Rome, awaiting trial. And for two years, he is under house arrest. And this is why he writes this letter to the believers in Ephesus, which brings us to today's reading in Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. So then, remember that one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision, by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at one time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to, to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also the members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together 
spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Please bow our heads. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find wisdom, and in your will discover your peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the word unity is mentioned only three times in the entire Bible. Once in Psalm 133, when David wrote, How wonderful it is, how pleasant, when brothers live together in unity. And then in, in Ephesians, unity is mentioned twice. In this letter, Paul has this deep-rooted urge to articulate to these believers the remarkable transformation that came upon the world through Jesus Christ. The theme of unity is the keynote of this letter. It is shown by certain phrases and words, such as made alive together, raised up together, sitting together, and built together. The letter signifies unity, one new man, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. Earlier, Paul had written to the Galatians, in Galatians 3.28, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ. Now, Paul was under house arrest by the Roman authorities in 62 AD. He was locked up in his house. Not much to do. Not unlike uh, being sheltered in place during COVID. But no Netflix in those days. But lots of time to think. And to ponder. And to write letters. During, during this time, Paul wrote letters to Philemon, the Colossians, the Philippians, and of course, to the Ephesians. But this is the question. Why did Paul feel a need to write a letter to these Ephesians? He already had spent three, time, three years with these folks. Longer than any other place that he had visited. But there was still doubt among these believers in Ephesus. In this letter, Paul tries to bring clarity to a fundamental question that has captivated believers and non-believers alike for thousands of years. And it is still a hot topic today. And that is the question of salvation. What do we need to do to be saved? The, the question centered on the premise that salvation belonged to the Israelites, the descendants of the 12 tribes of Jacob. It is not surprising that there was doubt and uncertainty. And in order to get a better understanding, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the folks at the time. For 2,000 years, since God's covenant with Abraham, salvation belonged to the people of the house of Israel. This covenant 
is one of the vital pillars of Judaism. And it is the basis for the belief that the Jews are the chosen people. God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 17, 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. And then in Genesis 22, 17, God told Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Nearly thousand years later, the Lord spoke to Ethan in a vision recorded in Psalm 89. I have found my servant David. With my, whole, with my holy oil, I have anointed him. He shall cry out to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will establish his line forever. God has blessed the Israelites throughout history. Many times, after evil and wicked rulers had subjugated or persecuted the Christians, God came to their rescue. And here are a few examples. God led the Israelites out of Egypt in 1500 BC, killing the entire Egyptian army in the Red Sea. He brought the Israelites out of 70 years of Babylonian captivity in 537 BC. And then after the Romans ransacked Jerusalem in the year 70 AD and completely destroyed the temple, millions scattered across the Middle East, North Africa, Asia, and Europe. And this is where most of the Jews have lived for 1900 years. Then, after the Holocaust and the Second World War, the State of Israel, with a population of 800,000 people, was founded in May of 1948. Several years ago, my wife and I visited Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. And at the entrance is a huge inscription of Ezekiel 3714 etched in stone. I will put my breath into you, and you shall live again, and I will set you upon your own soil. So today, 75 years later, the population of this tiny country has grown to more than 9 million people. Israel is at the foreground, forefront of technology. It has one of the highest R&D investment ratios in the world. Israel has almost twice as many scientists and researchers per capita compared to the United States. Throughout history, God has blessed the Jewish people with incredible wisdom and acumen in law, medicine, finance, and science. In America, Jewish roots can be traced back to the top technology companies, including Dell, Google, Facebook, Oracle, and many more. In other words, there is no doubt 
that God continues to bless the descendants of the 12 tribes of Israel with incredible wisdom and business sense. But what about that salvation question? Let's see what Jesus had to say about this. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus said in John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. Clearly, Paul's letter articulates that through God's grace, Jew and Gentile are now one in Christ. Let me illustrate this with an example. Life in Christ is analogous to this tulip we have here this morning. The bulb and the roots convey the Jewish heritage. It is the foundation. The bulb by itself is not very appealing to the eye. But this flower couldn't be grown if it wasn't for the bulb. They are one. When we bought the Willow Creek property uh, over two decades ago, there was a 40-year-old patch of grapes, wine grapes. Grapes are grafted on a certain rootstock. This rootstock is specific to the climate zone or the location where these grapevines are planted. Paul uses the grafting analogy on an olive tree in his letter to the Romans. The Gentiles are the branch of a wild olive tree that is grafted on a cultivated olive tree that depicts the Jewish people, the people of God. The grafted branch draws its water and nutrients through the roots and the trunk of that cultivated tree and gets its strength from that tree, the tree of God. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Everything changed. God's covenant with the Jewish people is the root and the trunk. But life in Christ is the fruit of the tree. It doesn't matter where we are. New York, Jerusalem, Rome, Shanghai, or Arcata, California. We are all one in Christ. In Christ there is no east or west, in him no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Paul's message to the Gentiles in Ephesus is that through Jesus Christ we are united, we are one. There is unity through the cross. There is unity through the blood of Jesus. There is unity through the resurrection. Now the watership moment, the watershed moment, came in Acts 10.44, when the Holy Spirit poured out over the Gentiles. That right there sealed the deal, so to say. It was this gift, this awesome gift of salvation, that has been made available to anyone willing to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Make your decision 
today. Make your decision today before it is too late. Pray to your Father who is in heaven to forgive us from our sins. But then repent from our sins and ask Jesus to come into our hearts and accept him as Lord and Savior. And no matter where we come from, no matter what we have done in the past, the Lord will bring us into his kingdom. He will lead us through that narrow gate onto the pathway of eternal life. Thank you. God bless you. Amen.